Welcome back, everybody. It's a Crowd Noise Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Martinez. Thursday, October 4th, 2018, episode number six. I don't know how your week went since last Thursday, but my week was fantastic. If you listened to the last episode, you know why. If you haven't listened to episode number five, go ahead and look back at that one, and you'll see why. Best picks in the history of crowd noise ever. I mean, hands down, I only whiffed on one, and it was Baker Mayfield and his four turnovers uh, losing to John Gruden in the last... I don't even know what happened in that game. It was unbelievable. The Browns ended up losing, but who cares? We don't make our money on this show off of the Cleveland Browns. We make our money off of the big boys, the big game. Said Ohio State was going to win a close one in Happy Valley. That's what happened. Picked Notre Dame to win big in South Bend. That's exactly what happened. All my NFL picks were fantastic. Everyone was selling out the Patriots saying they were done and it was over. And I said, everyone calm down. They're going to turn it around this week. They're probably going to go on a huge winning streak starting last week. And you sure, they sure did. You bet they did. They beat down the Miami Dolphins. I mean, they beat the brakes off of those guys. So I'm feeling good this week. We got a great show today. We got a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot, a lot to cover. Got some college football, some games this week. NFL, of course, and officially MLB postseason starts today. Cannot wait. So we're going to have a complete MLB postseason bracket breakdown. And, of course, we got a quote of the week. We got a good one. We got a pretty good one this week. It's another short one. I got to start looking for some actual quotes, some more, um, some more words. I think, the, I think most of the quotes of the week have been just one words. Uh, this one is also a one-word quote. But it's a good one, so we'll be waiting for that later on in the show. So with that, let's go ahead and get right into it. College football, number 19, Texas, and number 7, Oklahoma. It's a battle of the Red River rivalry. Uh, Three R's there. Uh, Oklahoma's undefeated, obviously. Texas losing has one loss. They lost week one against Maryland. Texas was my preseason playoff selection. Maybe not the smartest choice in the world, but... That's what I went with, and I'm going to stick by it. So far, I mean, if they run the table and only have one loss, they should make they should make the playoffs. So technically, they're still alive, and this podcast still has um, some level of integrity. Um, we built up some integrity after last week, I'll tell you that much. But they are not playing Maryland this week. They are playing Oklahoma, who's been unstoppable. They haven't they haven't scored anything less than 30 points this season. And the only time they scored 30 points was against Army in a in a scare in Norman, they were able to escape that. Texas is the only team last season to hold Baker Mayfield's Oklahoma Sooners to less than 30 points last year. They kept the game really close. And what I like, my favorite part of the Red River, Red River rivalry, i got to stop saying that. That's going to be really hard to keep up. My favorite part of that game is that it's on a neutral field. I really, they played in the old Cotton Bowl, and it's directly in the middle of Norman, Oklahoma, and Austin, Texas. It's the same distance from both schools, which I really like because... It's it's a true rivalry game. It's a true neutral field. So that makes things interesting. No one team has a home field advantage over the other. But the one difference is Texas holding Oklahoma to less than 30 points last year. They didn't have Kyler Murray, which they do this year. Well, they had Kyler Murray, but he wasn't the starter. It was Baker Mayfield. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. This year, it's Kyler Murray. They look unstoppable. They hung up 66 points against Baylor last week. Now, I know this isn't the Baylor teams of... Uh, excuse me, Robert Griffin III, they're not very good. Baylor's not very good. They should hang up 66 points. But 66 points 
is a whole lot of points to hang up no matter who you're playing. If you're playing UTEP and you score 66, that's still a lot of points to score. So I don't think Texas is going to completely shut them down. They haven't looked too dangerous on offense. They really, they really manhandled uh, TCU last week. They took care of those guys, who's uh, much better than Baylor, who Oklahoma played. But I really like Oklahoma. I think they're unstoppable. I, I don't think they're unstoppable. I just think they're much stronger than what they were last year. Even having had Baker Mayfield as their starter, I'll take Oklahoma for this game. Game number two, number five, LSU at number 22, Florida. Now, this could be a pretty dangerous game for the Tigers. Uh, it's in Gainesville, which is one of the stronger home field advantages in college football. It's really humid. It's really hot. Uh, it's really loud. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a great home field advantage if you play for the Gators. Um, LSU has been one of the more surprising teams in the country this year. I don't think anyone saw them going up to number number five in the nation and being undefeated at this point. Uh, I picked them to win uh, against Miami, as I keep reminding everyone, the first week of the season. I didn't think they would be able to sustain that kind of success, which makes me a little bit skeptic. skeptic. Um, I don't fully trust Coach O and those LSU Tigers. They're one of those teams where I feel like there, there's something's coming. There's, there's a loss coming. I don't think it's this week. Uh, I don't think uh, Florida has enough to stop LSU, even at home. Uh, LSU will get one more win, one more signature win on their resume before they run into Alabama and Georgia where they will lose both of those games. They don't stand a chance against either of those teams. So the last game of the week, number six, Notre Dame at number 24, Virginia Tech. That game is going to be in Blacksburg, which is always a hard place to play uh, on the road. Notre Dame so far this season has been... They've been the best team in the country outside of Tuscaloosa. In my opinion, watching a lot of college football every single year, watch a lot of games, Notre Dame has been the best team in the country outside of Alabama. Not Ohio State, even though they had a good win against Penn State. Not Clemson, not Georgia. If you ask me to pick one team in the nation who can stop Alabama, who has a chance of beating Alabama, I would choose Notre Dame. They've been that strong offensively they've been equally as strong defensively since they made the move to Ian Book now they're they have even more balance Notre Dame through these the past five to ten years they've been really off balanced offensively because they've picked a lot of running quarterbacks who aren't really great at throwing the football now they have a throwing quarterback who by the way can move around the pocket so yeah Notre Dame has been so strong this year I think I think they've pretty much locked up their spot in the college football playoff. Even it's only I think week five or week six. I think they've already punted with a win this week. They have a really easy schedule going forward. Um, they play a couple of neutral field games uh, throughout throughout the season. One in San Diego against Army. The other one in Yankee Stadium against Syracuse. Um, they should be they should be able to get through those two games. Um, and then they play USC in the Coliseum. And that game, they're going to, let me tell you, I know firsthand they're going to roll through those USC Trojans. They don't stand a chance. So I think Notre Dame should run the table after this week. Being in Blacksburg, I think it'll be closer than the Irish will like. But they're so dominant in the line of scrimmage on offense and defense. They just wear teams down. They dismantled Stanford last week, as I said they would, because Stanford, coming off of a uh, escape win against Oregon, was going to be a little bit slow. Um, and then playing in South Bend, Good luck. 
Notre Dame wore them down, and they they ended up winning the game. Uh, I, think, I believe it was thir- thirty-eight to ten. Uh, so Notre Dame will probably it'll be closer than they would like against Virginia Tech, but because they're so strong in the trenches, they're going to wear down Virginia Tech and end up pulling away. Uh, after that, they should be able to run the table. I think if should they win this week, barring of course a catastrophic upset, Virginia Tech, which they could. I mean, at Virginia Tech at home is dangerous. They're a top twenty-five team. They're no slouch. Um, but should Notre Dame win this week, which I think they will, they'll be able to run the table for the rest of the way. They don't play in a conference championship, so they get an extra week off. I think I think the college football playoff already has three spots taken up already. Alabama, because even if they lose this year to, to Auburn or they lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, the whole idea of the playoff is to get the four best teams in. And even with Alabama with one loss, are you going to look me in the eye and tell me they're not one of the four best teams in the country? No, absolutely not. So Alabama will get in. Ohio State went beating Penn State on the road. Um, that's a resume win. There are, you already know they're good, but now they have a win to add to their resume. I think they can drop another one should they play Penn State uh, later on in the Big Ten Championship or whatever it may be. Uh, I think they'll still get in. And then I think Notre Dame with a win this week, will punch their ticket because they'll be undefeated. And they're a good team. They already have their signature wins. They don't. I, a lot of people are saying they shouldn't get in because their schedule's weak for the rest of the way. They already played Michigan and Stanford and had beat both of them. Granted, they were both at home, but what are you going to do? Okay, they're, I mean, it just happened to be at home. They would have won both of those games if they were on the road anyway. Notre Dame is one of the four best teams in the country. I think they're the second best team in the country. Alabama's in a class, in a league all on their own. So let's forget about them. Erase Alabama from the rest of the country. Notre Dame is the best team head and shoulders. They're better than everyone else. So I think it'll be Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame in that fourth spot. Up for grabs between a few teams. Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and then possibly Penn State should they run the table from here on out. So you have one spot for four teams for the rest of the season. In my eyes, I think there's only one spot left, and that's it. And, I, of course, LSU's good, but I'm also... Uh, you know, predicting that they're going to lose to Alabama and Georgia, in which case it'd be really hard for them to get in being a two-loss team. Uh, but if you're a two-loss team and those two losses are Alabama and Georgia, you still have a pretty good case. Um, if Georgia has one loss, uh, they won't. you're not going to leapfrog Georgia if they're one of the teams that you lost to. So in my eyes, there's really only four teams that are left for that last spot. That's Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia, and Penn State. So there you have it. That's all the calls we have for this week. Let's go to the NFL. Games tonight, or game tonight, Colts at Patriots. That game's going to be in Foxborough. Uh, I said it I said it earlier uh, a few weeks ago. Patriots are going to start off 1-2 and two or something terrible, and the sky was going to start falling, and everyone was going to start wondering, should they have kept Jimmy G? Is Bill Belichick washed up? All that, and I said, guys, it's gonna, they do it every year. They're traditionally slow starters. That's just what they do. And then they turn it up a notch. They win four, five, six in a row. And then they win the East. And then they, they win. They get home field throughout uh, Foxborough. They win the AFC Championship. They're in this, next thing you know, they're in a Super Bowl. I said exactly that's what, that was how it's, it was going to go down. And that's, it's starting to take shape. They, they beat down Miami last week. I mean, handily. That game wasn't even close. Um, and they get the Colts this week who are coming off of a question, quotation marks, questionable loss against Houston. Um, they went for it on fourth down on their own side of the field in overtime because they didn't want to end up in a tie 
which I respect. I've, I've always hated ties. I think ties are worse than losses. I know losses um, statistically are worse than a tie as far as, you know, um, record. But morally, I hate ties. I just think I would rather, as a competitor, I'd rather have a tie than, I know, excuse me, I'd rather have a loss than a tie. Ties are just, they're the worst. They're terrible. So I like the decision. I like the aggressiveness that they showed um, going forward on fourth down. But nevertheless, they lost. Um, that was the route that they chose. This game's going to be in Foxborough, coming off of that huge win. Uh, the Patriots are going to start winning a whole bunch of games. And we're going to talk about could Tom Brady go get number six and all this good stuff. The Patriots are going to win this week. I don't think it'll be close. It won't be a blowout, but I think they'll win comfortably. Um, yeah, I don't see... Uh, I don't see the Colts bouncing back in Foxborough on a Thursday night on short rest. So uh, I'll take the Patriots for this one. Second game, and this is the most interesting game of the week. It's the most interesting game of the week. Maybe not the most competitive per se, but I think it's the most interesting game of the week. It's an unstoppable force beating an immovable object. Chiefs-Jaguars, that game's going to be an arrowhead. Um, Chiefs have already played. A really strong defense. They just got off. They just got out of Denver. They escaped that one. Uh, just as I said, Mahomes uh, was probably going to struggle that game. It was going to be the first game where he didn't look like Superman, and he struggled in the first half. It was a little. It wasn't terrible. He was a little bit shaky. He just couldn't get anything going. Uh, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb were really getting after him in the first half, and then the second half he looked like Patrick Mahomes again. So they ended up taking over that game. Uh, he threw a pass left-handed. Uh, it was the craziest play I've seen in years. I mean, I think people take uh, some people took that play for granted. Like, oh, yeah, he's on the move. He's improvising. He threw the ball with his left hand while being taken down by Von Miller. That's unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. As I was watching that game, I stood up. I can't remember the last time I was watching a game and I actually stood. My reaction was to stand up. It was unbelievable, that one play. And it, it wasn't for a touchdown, but still, I don't, I don't appreciate people downgrading that play like if it's it's routine it's not to throw a pass left-handed on the run while being tackled by von miller it's unbelievable so he took over that second half uh and he looked unstoppable this week they're going to play the jaguars whose defense is even better than denver the one thing they have going for them is that this game is an arrowhead it's not on the road like it was last week i think that did have a factor because denver uh they have some really loud fans they have a good fan uh home field advantage too um the one thing is uh the Chiefs have just so many more weapons than the Jaguars I mean I don't even have to tell you that much and the Jaguars have Blake Bortles so you don't know what you're gonna get out of him Uh, I think the Jaguars will definitely keep it close as far as um though their defense will definitely keep it close um they have a great secondary I don't have to tell you about that Jalen Ramsey and uh Tyreek Hill are already um talking some trash to each other back and forth on social media so that will be Really interesting. I can't wait for that individual matchup, Jalen Ramsey and Tyreek Hill. Um, but it's not just Tyreek Hill you got to worry about, and Jalen Ramsey can't guard everyone. They still have Sammy Watkins. They have Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt. I remind you about their weapons every single week. I think the Chiefs will win this one. It'll be a close game, 21-15. to 15. Uh, Again, I, if you say it enough, maybe eventually you'll be right. I think Patrick Mahomes throws a pick, possibly two this week, because... He's going to be under duress in the secondaries. The Jaguars are the best defense in the NFL. We all know that. They're, they have the best defense in the NFL. I don't think it's Minnesota. I don't think it's L.A. I think it's the Jaguars. And their stats are a little bit deflated because they have Blake Bortles, so their offense is going three and out a lot. Uh, he throws a lot of picks, so they're getting a lot of bad uh, field position. So I think I do think the Jaguars have the best defense in the NFL. 
um, despite what the numbers may show because, of course, the Rams have Jared Goff. And who else did I say? Oh, the Vikings, they have Kirk Cousins. They have a great offense too. So um, he'll be going up against that great defense. I think he'll find a way to get it done. They'll move to 5-0. and Unbelievable. The last game... This is probably quote unquote the best game. I don't think it'll be most the I don't think it'll be the most interesting to watch, but it's certainly the most I think it's going to be the most competitive game. The Vikings and the Eagles. Now, this one is a little bit hard to pick because the Eagles haven't looked like the Super Bowl champion Eagles. They haven't been bad, but they're 2 and 2 right now. They're not as dominant as they were last year. Carson Wentz is still trying to shake some rust off, which is uh, you know, expected. He came off a torn ACL. I did not. I did not expect him to come back and look like Carson Wentz immediately. Uh, it's definitely going to take some time. Uh, the The Vikings went toe to toe with the Rams last week on Thursday night. They, um, it was a really close game. It was a very fun game to watch. That was one of the more fun games uh, I've seen in a little in a long time. Um, and I think, you know, the Eagles coming off of a loss, playing at home, that uh, would suggest that they're the favorites, and they are. They should be. They're really. They're really tough at home, but. Uh, Seeing the Vikings go toe to toe with the Rams, they just have to not give up 38 points, and they win. You know they're going to win a lot of games as, as long as they don't give up 38 points. Um, the Rams have a good defense also, and they kept up. The Vikings kept up with the Rams the entire game. They went toe to toe. They just couldn't. They just could not stop the Rams to save their lives, and that's what happened. They lost the game. Uh, the Eagles are not as dangerous as the Rams on offense. Carson Wentz still shaking off some rust. I'm actually going to go with the Vikings this week in an upset. So. Um, yeah, not too. I don't really pick too many upsets. I well, I don't look at my picks as upsets. I pick who I think is going to win. Um, this one I do view as an upset because, uh, of course, Philly can turn around in the blink of an eye at home, and they smacked the Vikings at home in the playoffs last year. So this is kind of a dangerous pick for me. I'm getting a little bit bold this week um, after batting a thousand last week, but I'm going to take the Vikings. I think they need this win. The Vikings are going to need this win more than the Eagles are going to need this win because the NFC East is not as strong as the NFC North. In the NFC East, you have the Cowboys who you cannot trust on a week-to-week basis. Uh, the Redskins are currently in first place. I don't expect them to hold that out for the rest of the season. Season, And then, of course, you have the Giants who are, in my opinion, the least trustworthy team in that whole division. Um, and it's namely because of Eli Manning. So, and in the north, you have, of course, the Packers. You have the Bears, who are really good now. And the Lions are actually aren't as, aren't as terrible as we thought they were. Um, they're bad, but they're not as bad. They're still going to be a lottery team. But I don't know. They might win some games here and there. So I definitely think the Vikings are going to need this to win more than the Eagles will. Um, so I think they're going to be motivated to go out and get it. That's all of our uh, football this week. Um, so with that... Like I said at the beginning of the show, it's October 4th. It's baseball month now. It's baseball time. Playoff baseball, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like playoff baseball. And it starts tonight. First, well, it doesn't technically start tonight, but the first two wild card games were on Tuesday and Wednesday. Obviously, we do our show every Thursday, so I didn't get a chance to um, really talk any wild card games. And at the time, last Thursday, the NL wild card was still completely up for grabs. Uh, the Cubs were still in first place as, uh, at, at the time of last week's show. Um, the Dodgers were in the second wild card spot. Um, the Rockies were in first place. There's a whole lot of different uh, things, which I did talk about all the different scenarios. Um, and it held up that the Dodgers won the division. The Brewers passed the Cubs in the tiebreaker. And the Rockies and the Cubs played in uh, the first NL wild card game, or the first wild card game. Um, 
that was a game for baseball, quote unquote, purists. If you're a common, if you're a casual fan of baseball, you like you like watching baseball, but you're not really that much into it. You don't look into all teams, just your team. That wasn't a game for you. That was a game for baseball purists. Rocky scored the first run in the first inning, and they didn't score another run. Um, either team didn't score another run until the eighth inning, and then that game went into extras, and the game-winning run came in the 13th inning. It was a long game, lots of pitching, lots of defense. If you're a casual fan, that game wasn't for you, um, which no disrespect. I mean, who doesn't like seeing home runs, of course? It was a little bit tiresome because that game was really long. Um, and then it rained at my, my place. It rained, so I didn't even get to see the game-winning run. The satellite went out. It came back when the Rockies took the, the bottom frame. Um, they shut it down, and so the Cubs are out of the playoffs. Unbelievable. Two years removed from being a World Series champion, they're gone in one game. So they're gone. Last night's game, uh, AL wild card. That one was more for the casual fan, I guess you could say. Um, not more scoring. 7-2. to Yankees on top of the A's, which I did, I did pick that game because that wild card game was locked up. I picked the Yankees, um, and for the very reason that they – the very reason that they won last night, the A's just don't have a starter, and they literally did not use a starter. They used an opener, meaning, uh, for those of you who don't know, they used their entire bullpen for the game. They didn't send out a quote-unquote starting pitcher. They put out a relief pitcher. He went one inning, and he gave he served up a piece of cheese to Aaron Judge, which he quickly deposited into the short porch in left field, gave the Yankees a two-run lead, and they never looked back. The A's scored two runs later. Uh, later in the game, that was after the Yankees were... Uh, very comfortably ahead at that point, six to two, and they scored another run off of Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, final score seven two. So with all that, glad we could cover the uh, wild card game. Luis Severino looked pretty good. He started losing control a little bit in the fifth inning, which is his problem. And you know, you you tend to see that with um, uh, flamethrowers. Uh, they don't have the best control in the world, but he's got a ton of run on his fastball. Uh, his slider disappears. Uh, he looked really good. He turned it around. Because uh, he had struggled, obviously, in the second half after the All-Star break. He had put some good starts together to earn that wild card start. And uh, he looked really good last night. Definitely better than he did uh, in last year's wild card game. So with that, we will now be breaking down every series in the, uh, excuse me, in the baseball bracket. So we're doing our own bracket here. We're breaking down each round predictions. And we're going to be picking a World Series champion. So with that, we're going to start in the NLDS. Dodgers and Braves. Game one's going to be Hunjin Ryu. I'm sure you've heard Clayton Kershaw not pitching for the Dodgers in game one. It's going to be Hunjin Ryu against Mike Fultonevich. Game one, that's going to be in Dodger Stadium. Game two is Anibal Sanchez and then Clayton Kershaw. Both games are going to be in Dodgers. I think I just said that. I think I just said that. Uh, yeah, Dodgers. So obviously the Dodgers have home field advantage for this one. Um, Hunjin Ryu has a sub two ERA at home this year. Uh, he's been really strong. He didn't pitch for the Dodgers in the postseason last year because the Dodgers were a little bit deeper. Um, their bullpen was a little bit deeper. Their starting rotation was a little bit deeper. They had uh, Brandon Morrow and obviously you Darvish, who are both uh, members of the Cubs organization now. Both did not really pan out for the Cubs. But besides that point, uh, Ryu will be pitching for the Dodgers this year. He didn't want to pitch for them last year. Well, it's not that he didn't want to pitch. He didn't want to come out of the bullpen. The Dodgers didn't have enough spots for to use him as a starter. They asked if he'd like to come out of the bullpen. He denied, so that's what happened there. This year, they need another starter, so he will be starting, and he's actually going to get the ball game one. He's been great at home. Uh, he's going to be going up against Mike Fultonevich, who's also 
he has a great ERA. He's top three in the NL or top five in the NL in ERA. He's a great pitcher. He's got a really strong fastball, uh, nice curveball. The Braves have cooled off though. Towards the end, they I mean they were one of the more exciting teams because they're uh, uh, you know they're they're young superstars, Ronald Acuna and uh, Ozzy Albies. But then they also have the veterans, Freddie Freeman, Nick Marcakis. They cooled off a little bit to end the season. That's how the Dodgers were able to go from potentially missing the playoffs to leapfrogging the Braves to having home field advantage in the first round. So the Braves are the bats are a little bit cold right now. Um, I'm gonna take Hunjin Ryu at home game one. Uh, he's been really strong at home, and the Dodgers' offense is heating up at just the right time. They've they're um, an example of the Cubs. They can they go one game scoring eight runs, ten runs, and the next game they get shut out or they score one run. But the Dodgers have been consistently scoring runs at a really high rate. Their bats are heating up at just the right time. I'll take Hunjin Ryu in the Dodgers' offense game one and game two. It's hard to go against Clayton Kershaw at home, and he'll be on he'll be fully rested, which is. Uh, if you're a Dodger fan, you know that's extremely rare. To see Clayton Kershaw on five days rest in the playoffs is, I mean, it's like seeing pigs fly. It's unbelievable. So I'll take Clayton Kershaw game two. Um, I think, and here's another thing, Hunjin, Hunjin Ryu and Clayton Kershaw are both left-handers, obviously. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because the spearhead of the Braves offense, in my opinion, is Freddie Freeman. So he'll have to get through two strong left-handers uh, on the road which I don't know how that will bode for him. In Game 3, it will likely be Walker Bueller, who is a right-hander who has a really strong fastball. He gets a little daring with it sometimes. but he's I mean, he's good, but he sometimes he'll, he'll challenge you with that fastball. I think Freddie Freeman will take advantage of that. Um, possibly uh, the Dodgers offense stalls, maybe Game 3. Maybe not stalls, but uh, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is I'm taking the Dodgers uh, in four games. I think they'll lose that first game in Atlanta would be in Game 3. And uh, game four would probably be Rich Hill, another left-hander, uh, and I'll take uh, I'll take the Dodgers in that one. Dodgers in four. Next NL series: Rockies and Brewers. Uh, this one is, I think, this one will be a little bit more uh, intriguing, so to speak. The Rockies are a really good team, but the Brewers are just superior. I think they're the best team in the NL right now. I honestly think they're the best. They have. Uh, the best bullpen, obviously, and then their lineup is really deep. Also, you have Jesus Aguilar, Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, but the Rockies are no slouch either. They have Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Ian Desmond, um, but Christian Yelich is the MVP. He's going to have home field advantage. Uh, game one will be Antonio Sensala. Sen- oh, I butchered that one. That'll be for Colorado starter. Um, and he'll go up against Brandon Woodruff in Game 1. Now, the Rockies do not have a listed starter for Game 2, and that's why I'm picking the Brewers to win this series in four games because the Rockies have two greats. They have, they have two number one starters. They have Herman Marquez, and they have Kyle Freeland, who you, saw, you may or may not have seen in the NL wild card. He was phenomenal. Uh, I think he went six or seven scoreless, and uh, the Rockies' bullpen gave up that one run, that tying run, and they end up winning the game anyway, so who cares? But they're not going to have those two number one starters for probably the first two games of the series. And by that time, they could be down 2-0 uh, heading back to Denver. Uh, I think they'll win that first game uh, in Coors uh, with their starters. Game four will be a close one, but I'm going to take the Brewers in that one because their bullpen is superior. I mean, they just, they're just they loaded. The Corey Knievel, uh, Josh Hader, of course, obviously. Uh, I, think, I think the Brewers are just going to wear them down. I'll take the Brewers in four. Moving to the AL now, Indians, Astros. This is the easiest one to pick for me. 
Game one starters, Corey Kluber, Justin Verlander, a couple of Cy Young winners there. Uh, game two, get ready for some strikeouts in game two. Carlos Carrasco and Garrett Cole. That's going to be a fun game to watch. Um, the Astros are disappearing in every single way, except for the bullpen. The Cleveland Indians have a, they do have a better bullpen than the Astros. Um, the Astros obviously uh, assessing that need, trading for um, human scum Roberto Asuna. Uh, he's been good for them. As far as baseball, he's been good for them. Um, but the rest of their bullpen is not is not equivalent to the Indians. Uh, they have uh, Andrew Miller, Brad Hand, obviously. Um, and the Indians are going to be getting back Trevor Bauer. He'll probably be uh, listed as Game 3. But he's not going to be at full strength. Uh, I think he's gotten two starts in during the regular season coming back from his, I think, I believe it was a shin injury. Uh, they were not full starts. They were just some light work to get him back in the groove. I don't think he's going to be fully ready for the Astros in that uh, in that series, I'm going to take the Astros in three. Uh, they, they're just their starters are just way too good. And the final uh, division series being the one that I'm most excited to see. I think I've said I'm most excited for all of these series. I can't wait. All these series are going to be really good. Um, I think the Astros will sweep, but there should be some exciting games. At game two, Carlos Carrasco, Garrett Cole. What else do you want? Those are two amazing starters right there. Uh, but this series, really, I cannot wait. Yankees, Red Sox. It's the first time since 2004 the Red Sox coming back from 3-0. It's the greatest comeback in postseason history. The Red Sox uh, winning the World Series that year. Uh, Dave Roberts was on that team, former uh, current Dodger manager. Uh, Yankees do not have a listed starter for either of the first two games, but uh, the Red Sox are sending out Chris Sale for Game 1 and David Price for Game 2. Likely, it'll be J.A. Happ Game 1 for the Yankees and then Masahiro Tanaka Game 2. And then game three probably being Luis Severino uh, on, I think, would he be on short rest? I'm not, he, he'll be around four to five days of rest, so he'll be good to go. And he only pitched uh, four innings. He went out in the five, he couldn't get an out, and he, uh, he let two men on in the fifth. I think he had close to 80 or 90 pitches. I didn't take it, I didn't write down his pitch count, but he was, uh, he was up there in the pitch count, uh, but he looked good. So uh, yeah, Luis Severino will probably be the game three starter. I like that the Red Sox are going to start uh, David Price at Fenway. Uh, his career ERA in Yankee Stadium over nine, or is it over eight? Either way, that's not that's not any better. His his ERA in Yankee Stadium is atrocious. So getting him the start um, in Fenway Park is vital for him, and obviously vital for the Red Sox. Um, the last series they played um, was in Yankees uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, and the Yankees throttled the Red Sox. I mean, they really handled those guys. And they weren't at full strength. I know they had all their players back. But Aaron Judge was not 100%. Those were some tune-up games for him. He was some tune-up games for him. He wasn't completely at full strength. Um, trying to get that wrist uh, back in back in the line. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he took a uh, pitch off of his, I think it was his right-handed wrist. Uh, yeah, it was his right-handed wrist, which is problematic for him because... Uh, it's his throwing arm, obviously, and uh, it's hard to swing the bat when you have a broken wrist. So he's gonna be—he's gonna get better with each game, each at bat. He's only gonna get better. He's gonna be timing up fastballs, and the Yankees lineup is just way too deep for the Red Sox. Aaron Judge, obviously, Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sanchez, Andrew McCutcheon, Miguel and Duhar, and Glaber Torres. That's not those six monsters in there. How do you work through that lineup? It's unbelievable. I mean, their their lineup is just way too strong. The Red Sox have some hitters, too. They got Mookie Betts, they got J.D. Martinez, and they have Andrew Benintendi, but I don't think that's going to be enough to go up against the six monsters I just listed for you. Uh, I'll take the Yankees in four.
I think uh, I think the Yankees will win game one with J.A. Happ. He's been a Red Sox killer throughout his career. His last start, I think he only gave up one or two runs against the Red Sox. He was really strong. The Yankees won that game. Um, I think David Price will take care of business in Fenway, um, splitting the series, and I think the Yankees will take the next two at home. So we'll take the Yankees in four games. Moving on to the NLCS now. That would be as far as our predictions, or my predictions. You had no hope in this. Uh, the Dodgers and the Brewers. Now, the Brewers, like I said, are probably the best team in the NL, but the Dodgers are the most experienced team in the NL. They've been here. This would be their third straight year in the NLCS. Obviously, their sixth straight year in the playoffs. Uh, the Brewers, this is their first time for a lot of those guys in the playoffs. Uh, I like the Dodgers' experience. They've been working um, some really deep counts, some long at-bats the Dodgers have. Um, and the Brewers, like I said, they're... They have the best bullpen in the National League, but they are, their bullpen arms are flamethrowers. They all throw really hard fastballs. And the Dodgers are actually, I brought out all the nuggets this week. The Dodgers are top 10 in the league, uh, batting average against pitches that are 95 mile, miles an hour or more. So they really hit the fastball well, um, the Dodgers do. Obviously, they have a lot of good right-handed. And that's another thing. They have two completely separate lineups that, that could really shut down the Brewers' bullpen. They have a right-handed lineup and a left-handed lineup meaning not the batters are all right-handed or left-handed I mean they have a lineup for left-handed pitchers and they have a lineup for right-handed pitchers they can match up with anybody they have Brian Dozier David Freeze uh, Matt Kemp those are all right-handers and Yasmani Grandal is a switch hitter but you can put in Austin Barnes who's a right-handed hitter against left-handed pitchers you can put in Yasmani Grandal who's a switch hitter but he's stronger from the left-handed side against right-handed pitchers. I mean, they can match up with everyone. There's Your bullpen is not going to be able to come in and plan, all right, let's get the next three or four guys in a row because the Dodgers, and especially Dave Roberts, are just so platoon-heavy. Anyone can play virtually all nine positions. So I think the Dodgers' versatility is going to wear down the Brewers' bullpen. Uh, it's going to be a good series, though. Like I said earlier, uh, the Brewers have a really deep lineup also. It's going to be hard for the Dodgers' starters to massage their way through that lineup, I'll take the Dodgers in seven games. I think it's going to be closer than people expect. Uh, I know everything I just said suggests that the Dodgers are going to run away with it. But uh, being that the Brewers have home field advantage, it's going to be tough for the Dodgers to start out. I think they'll take care of business in Milwaukee Game 7, going back to the World Series this year. ALCS, it's a rematch of last year's ALCS, Ast Astros and Yankees. Um, it's going to be another another Game 7 series. Uh, here as I have in the NLCS and another game another seven game series from last year between the Astros and Yankees this one will be a little bit more balanced uh, last year the Yankees were up I believe it was three to one uh, against the Astros and the Astros won three straight uh, to win the series or was it three two anyway the, the Yankees were up and it wasn't back and forth it was really the Yankees got out hot to start they started off hot and the Astros finish the series. I think this one will be a little bit more back and forth. Um, the Yankees, again, they might be the only team that has the same amount of firepower that the Astros do. I mean, like I said before, their lineup is just ridiculous. It's just loaded top to bottom. And there's no way, there's no easy outs on that on the entire lineup. They're just they're deep top to bottom, one through nine. Um, the Yankees bullpen is probably superior. Um, not probably, it is. They have the best bullpen. Left in baseball, um, the Brewers have the best bullpen in the NL. The Yankees have the best bullpen, period. Uh, but that's where their advantages stop. Stop Where the Yankees do not match up to the Astros is defensively. 
The Yankees are terrible on defense. They're awful on defense. And the Astros are fantastic. They have they have the best defensive infield uh, left in the postseason. Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, and uh, Carlos Correa. I mean, how do you get a ground ball through through those guys? If you hit a ball ground ball to the left side, which the Yankees are going to do a lot of, um, well, actually, no, the Yankees like to strike out or home run, so maybe not. But if you were to hit a ground ball to the left side, which the Yankees would most likely do because they have a lot of, lot of right-handers uh, in their lineup, it's, you're out. There's no way you're getting the, a ground ball through the, uh, the left side against the Astros. And they have superior starters. So if there's anyone who's capable of uh, taming the Yankees' offense, the baby bombers, it's going to be the Astros. They're starting pitching and their defense just too strong. Uh, I'm going to take the Astros in seven. So if you've been paying any kind of attention, pick the Dodgers to win the NL and the Astros to win the AL. Rematch of last year's World Series. One of the greatest World Series of all time. We're getting round two. Unfortunately, in my book, it's not going to live up to the prequel. Um, the Dodgers last year were they were the favorite going into the World Series. A lot of people were picking them to win, uh, as they should. They had the best record in baseball last year. A lot of people were having career years. Uh, they traded for Hugh Darvish, for, who at the time, a lot of people have short memories. At the time, Hugh Darvish was dominant in the postseason. Uh, in the first two rounds against the Diamondbacks and the Cubs, he was dominant. So the Dodgers were heavy favorites going into the last year. Uh, and like I said, a lot of people were having career years, Justin Turner being one, Chris Taylor another one. Um, but this year, the Dodgers are not... They're not as consistent offensively as I said earlier. Uh, they're not. You can't count on them for four runs every game. You can count on them for 12 runs one game and then one run for the next three games combined. So uh, they're not as consistent offensively. And the Astros, the, the way they beat the Dodgers last year is they exposed Cody Bellinger and Cody, Corey Seager. Um, they kept showing them uh, breaking balls down and in, and they just could not resist. They shut down both of the Dodgers' uh, young studs, being Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager. This year, the Dodgers have Manny Machado, though, another uh, a right-handed bat who could drive in a lot of runs. And I think that's what really killed the Dodgers last year. Uh, it was a great series, seven game. Like I said, it was one of the best series uh, of all time with one of the best games played of all time, that being game five, 13 to 12 Astros. Um, that one ending in an Alex Bregman walk-off single. Um, what was I saying? I lost my train. I thought I got off track there. Uh, this Oh, as I, that was what I was saying. So the, I think what the, Do- the reason the Dodgers lost that series is that they just couldn't drive in runs. Game seven, uh, game two, they were just leaving a lot of runners on. A lot of runners on, and uh, they brought in Manny Machado, who's uh, and that's that's the reason they brought him in, not only to replace Corey Seager, but to drive in runs with their people on base. You need to take advantage of the runners on on base if you're the Dodgers, but. The Astros are just way too strong. They're, they improved on their starters, obviously adding Garrett Cole. They can match up with the Dodgers as far as versatility because they have Charlie Morton in the bullpen, Lance McCullers, who can come in in the starting rotation uh, should Dallas Keuchel be struggling. And the Dodgers have a lot of right-handed bats, as I said before. So maybe you would bring in Charlie Morton, a right-hander, and uh, have him take Dallas Keuchel's spot in the rotation uh, to match up with the Dodgers' uh, right-handed bats. I don't think this game, this series will be as close. The Dodgers will win. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's start slash starts. Um, I think he'll take care of business. But other than that, I'm going to take the Astros in six. So the I have a Astros-Dodgers rematch of last year with the Astros repeating again against the Dodgers. And being game six, or how does... 
Okay, baseball is 2-3-2. Two, two. It's not like basketball, which it should be. is 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. Uh, game 6 would be... Oh, no, game 6 would be in um, Minute Maid Park. So never mind. I was going to say the Astros would win another World Series in Dodger Stadium, but game 6 would be in Houston. Uh, so they'll get to win one in front of their fans. Another long offseason for the Dodgers. Um, coming up short once again. And, which it makes an interesting case because Clayton Kershaw obviously can opt out of his deal. Manny Machado is going to be a free agent. Brian Dozier is going to be a free agent this year. Um, but could Clayton Kershaw be on the move? After losing two straight World Series, um, could he be frustrated and say, I don't have time to wait anymore. i got to go to a win-now situation. He's from Texas, and the Astros... Uh, pitcher Dallas Keuchel is also a free agent. Could Clayton Kershaw slide over to the Houston Astros? It's a possibility. I mean, we've seen crazier things. It's hard to imagine Clayton Kershaw in anything but a Dodgers uniform, but it's not impossible. I mean, he could go up. He could uh, go wherever he wants. He's going to be a free agent, and you put Clayton Kershaw on that Astros team, already having won two in a row. They're going to be dangerous. That's, that's baseball's official super team. And he's from Texas, so he's from uh, East Texas. He's from Dallas specifically, but Dallas obviously not too far from Houston. So that would be a very interesting storyline going into the winter meetings this offseason. It's time for the quote of the week. Now, the quote of the week, as I said earlier, is only a one-word quote. I know I've, I've, it's called the quote of the week, and it's actually just the word of the week. I've been getting a lot of one-word quotes so here we go. Quote of the week, froggish. Andy Reid when being asked about Patrick Mahomes' voice. Now, I wanted to talk about Patrick Mahomes because he's been outstanding, as I said. I mean, just he blew my mind with that left-handed throw. I think a lot of people were taking that for granted. Um, I couldn't find any quotes on Patrick Mahomes' uh, spectacular play as, uh, this week, of course. I mean, you can, I can go back to two or three weeks ago, but it's called the quote of the week, not the quote of two weeks ago. So... The reason he said froggish is because a lot of people are really laughing and enjoying Patrick Mahomes' voice. Um, people just like making fun of celebrities. I was really upset last week that people were making fun of Kawhi Leonard's laugh. Like, leave Kawhi Leonard alone. Let him laugh however he pleases. Um, stop making fun of Patrick Mahomes' voice. He sounds nothing like Kermit the Frog. That's why Andy Reid said froggish because uh, Travis Kelsey, I think it was Tyreek Hill, also said that... Um, Patrick Mahomes sounds like uh, Kermit the Frog after eating a hot bowl of chili. Like that's just that's that's pretty funny. That's a good line, but it's not it's not fair. Leave Patrick Mahomes alone. As someone who is in the broadcasting quote unquote business, uh, being me <laughs> recording a podcast, respect people's voices. I listen to myself. I don't listen to myself. Let's get that clear. I don't I don't listen to my podcast like. Um, how do you, how do you want to say it? Like I don't need, I don't listen to my own podcast like as a fan. I listen to it, I listen to it to review what I'm saying, um, and I can't stand my own voice. I don't know anyone that likes their own voice, um, and I can't imagine what you think listening to me for the past 45 minutes. Um, but don't make fun of people's voices. If not, Patrick Mahomes can do nothing about his voice, and he's the future of the NFL. Leave him alone. He's the absolute future of the NFL. And here brings me, which brings me to another point. Stop making fun of his voice and stop comparing him to Brett Favre. He's not Brett Favre. He's not Fran Tarkenton. He's not John Elway. He's his own guy. Patrick Mahomes, is, he is the future. And I know I probably said that about Deshaun Watson uh, last year. And I think Deshaun Watson still does have a very bright future. 
The Texans offensive line is 32nd in the NFL, so cut him some slack. I would pump the brakes. A lot of people are already saying, uh, oh, we, we jumped the gun on uh, Deshaun Watson. He's done. He was uh, flashing the pan. Like, give that guy a break. Give him offensive line. Uh, stop making fun of Patrick Mahomes' voice. Stop making fun of Kawhi Leonard's laugh. It makes me furious. No, stop bullying. Stop bullying now. It makes me furious when I see people making fun of other people's um, intangibles. He can't change his voice. There's nothing he can do about his voice. And I'm pretty sure uh, he could throw a football a lot farther than you. I'm pretty sure he could throw a shot put a lot farther than you. I'm pretty sure he could shot put a lot farther than you can throw a tennis ball. Okay, so stop making fun of Patrick Mahomes' voice. Please, quote of the week, froggish. That's going to bring us to the end of this episode. <laughs> took a lot, that took, I'm out of breath. That took a lot out of me uh, defending Patrick Mahomes. That's my quarterback. He is my quarterback for fantasy football. So I think that's why I'm a little bit more sensitive to the, the subject. Stop making fun of the face of my franchise, please. Uh, it's a Crowd Noise podcast. Every Thursday, you can listen on Apple Podcasts. You can listen on the Anchor app. You can listen on Google Podcasts. You can listen on Spotify um yeah i think that's it enjoy the games this week Uh, i'm steven martinez it's a crowd noise podcast i'll see you next thursday